Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. If you have a Bible this morning, we're going to be in the book of Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14, I encourage you to turn there. If you need a Bible that you can put in your lap, uh, please feel free to go to the um, back of the room there. The tech booth has some on the side. Uh, You can grab one there. If you're a user of the Bible app and you want to uh, open that app and find our live event, you can track along with the scriptures and sermon notes, um, all the good stuff all the good stuff that is there. Uh, We are reading through the New Testament in 90 days, getting up to, uh, getting up to Easter. How are we doing with that, everybody? Yeah. Some were more enthusiastic than others. It's cool. Uh, Here's what I want to encourage you. Don't be discouraged. Like if you uh, missed some, if you uh, uh, didn't quite finish, whatever, 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 uh, man, just jump in. If you haven't started yet, just jump in with us. we got Luke and Acts coming up over the next couple of weeks, so it's going to be very, very good, very exciting. Um, this past week we read in Romans, uh, this sermon series leading up to Easter has been about what we've been reading, and we have done one of two things. We've either taken a particular text or a question in the text and kind of pressed really hard on that, um, or we've taken a thread of a larger section of the text and kind of drawn that together, and this particular sermon is the latter of those two. Um, We're going to look at Romans chapter 14 and even the first part of chapter 15, big chunk here, and try to draw it um, all the way through. Here's what I want to do, though, before uh, we actually jump into the text. We'll get into that in just a moment. Um, I I need to locate, if you will, um, the the conversation that is happening in Rome and a conversation certainly that can happen in our day as well. And I want to do it with this little... um, uh, figure here of these circles. This has been particularly helpful for me as a Christian and as a pastor for years on end. And so I just want to um, try to help here. Let's start with the big circle on the outside. The big circle on the outside uh, is the circle of the kingdom. And as it says there, this is stuff we die for. If you want to say it another way, this is stuff we fight about. Um, this is, the Bible is the word of God, that uh, the Godhead is Trinity, three in one, one in three, that Jesus has died and he has risen, that God is the creator of the world and gets to define what's good and bad. And we fight about these things. We are, we, we are willing to um, stand on principle um, and die for these things. This is big, big, big kingdom stuff. This is what Christians around the world and for thousands of years now, a couple of thousands of years, a uh, couple of thousand years has confessed together. Then there's a smaller circle and the smaller circle, everybody, can you see on the screen there? What is it? It's church. This is what we differentiate over. So I'll just give you an example. Um, We have friends uh, who are Methodists. Anybody grow up Methodist and want to admit it? It's a joke. It's a joke, people. It's a joke. Uh, it's a joke. Okay, so um, uh, so you, you grab, and like Baptists and Methodists actually have quite a bit in common theologically, except one big thing, and that is that um, they baptize little ones, babies. Uh, we as Baptists do not. We are uh, uh, under conviction here that the Bible teaches that a person puts their faith in Jesus and then is baptized. And so that, that's the way that we see it happening is by example here. It's the way Romans 4 talks about the symbol of the covenant. Romans 6 talks about baptism. Colossians 2 talks about it. On and on and on we could go. Um, and so we look and we say, man, we're going to have Methodist brothers and sisters in the kingdom. Amen and amen. We don't go to church with them because they're wrong. Yeah. <laughs> we differentiate over this. Are they still brothers and sisters? Yes. Um, when um, the kingdom comes, will we all be with them? Yes. 
uh, can we figure out a way to do um, church together in this particular issue, on this particular issue? Well, no, not really. Like, they, they see things a certain way, we see things a certain so we differentiate. That much, much smaller circle if, uh, is the circle of conscience. It, it should be conscience slash opinion, but I could only fit one word in the circle. So uh, it, it's a much, much, much smaller circle. Kingdom, church, conscience, opinion. And this is the place where um, I hold some things that are important to me about my, my own spiritual life. You hold some things that are important to you about your own spiritual life. I'm convicted that these things are right for me to do or wrong for me to do. You hold convictions about some of things like that. And mine may be different than yours. But that is a much, much smaller circle. Now, just pastorally speaking, you know the place where we fight the most? Church. No, it's not. It's actually the much, much smaller circle. We take those things in there and we blow them up to the bigger circles thinking that they're that important. They're not. So today, we are locating this particular conversation in Romans 14 in that small, small circle. It is the circle of conscience and opinion, okay? So um, here's the context in which um, we are locating this conversation now. Um, And that is Christian Jews and Gentiles had to learn to live together again. And I say again uh, because Claudius, the emperor, in 42 AD, kicked all the Jews out of Rome. Boom, out they go. And they had about a decade there where they were um, exiled from the city of Rome. And then they were able to come back. So Jewish believers in Jesus, those who followed the Messiah, were there. And then they weren't for a whole decade. And then they were allowed to come back as the reign of Claudius came uh, to an end there. They were allowed to come back. But now they had 10 years of the church in Rome being under basically Gentile leadership. So now you're importing Jewish people back into a place that has been 10 years under Gentile leadership. Does anybody think that that could go kind of crazy? They are trying to learn to live together again. Christian Jews, Christian Gentiles learning to live together again. And there was this question on the table. And um, Paul addresses other issues and other things. He has purpose for writing um, Rome, uh, the, the book of Romans. But this is the ethical issue in Rome. It is this. How do we, as Christian Jews and Christian Gentiles, how do we live with one another as Christians when we hold differing opinions about issues that are important to us? Chapter 14, verse 1. As for the one who is weak in the faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. So as for the one who is weak in the faith, welcome. So that word, some of you may have accept, some of you may have receive. That's the idea. It's more than just welcome. Oh, it's good to see you. Oh, it's good to see you. But it's, it is a matter of reception. It is a matter of accepting. As for the one who is weak in the faith, welcome, accept, receive him, but not to quarrel over opinions. Can we just take Romans 14 and like stick it on our computer screens? Oh, that cut a little close to home, didn't it? Because there was like, ha, ha, oh. But not to quarrel over opinions. The reason we welcome one another is because of the two bigger circles, not the smallest of those circles. And so now uh, let's locate specifically the issues that the Roman church uh, was wrestling through Starting in verse 2, uh, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. Uh, I'm sorry, verse 2, that was verse 3. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. Let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. 
So here, here was question number one. As Jewish uh, believers in Jesus and Gentile believers in Jesus were kind of reintegrating in the Roman church, in that local congregation, one of the questions was, can we eat meat? Can we? Some people thought yes. Some people thought no. Some people were low-carb, high-fat, you know, high-protein diet. Some people were, you know, vegan. Can we eat meat? That, that's the first one. Verse 5 now. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. So this observation or distinguishing of days. Um, for Jewish uh, followers of Jesus, they had a very important day in their week. What was it? The Sabbath. Saturday, because it was kind of in their culture that this day was a really, really important day where they should stop and stop doing something. Christians um, kind of throughout uh, the early church, because Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday, they worship Jesus together. They gather together and worship Jesus on Sunday. That's why throughout the book of Acts, we'll read it in the next couple of weeks. Um, they gathered on the first day, the Lord's day is sometimes how they get to worship. So one person thinks Saturday is really important. One person thinks Sunday. And then last one down in verse 21. Um, it is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. So we had drinking wine or alcoholic beverages. And some of you, depending upon your church background, may have had to work through this particular issue um, by yourself uh, or on your, you know, like in your own life. Um, drinking wine, like, is it okay? Is it okay um, to do so? Um, I, I, love, I love how God worked it out. You know, that's for the one who's weak. Welcome him, accept him, receive him, uh, but not to quarrel over opinions. I love how God worked this out because as we're reading through Romans and we're thinking about this and we kind of plan this, uh, this sermon series and thinking about the things, I mean, I, I thought, you know, the Holy Spirit really draws me to chapter 14. And I thought to myself, you know, eating meat, distinguishing days, drinking wine. I mean, there's nothing else that we as a church have had differing opinions over the past couple of years. Like there's nothing at all that we might hold in that small circle as a, an opinion or a thing of conscience that we would fuss in, about. Nothing. So we're just going to talk about eating meat and distinguishing days and drinking wine. There's nothing else in our lives over the past two years or so that may have set us off with another set of believers and brought division in the place where... Can you say COVID? Okay. So there's five questions the text asks. Sarcasm aside, there's five, five questions the text asks. And I, I want to set those apart for us. Just a point to them, okay? Uh, the, the first one is um, in, in, in verse 4. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld for the Lord is able to make him stand. So... Question number one, questions that we get asked by the text. If we are going to live together, Jews and Gentiles, people who have differing opinions uh, about those things. This is not, listen, again, let's locate the conversation in that smallest circle. This is not about the Trinity. This is not about the Bible. This is not about death and resurrection. This is not about baptism. This is not about things that allow us to do church together. This is about things of conscience, opinion, that small, small circle. Question number one, um, why do you judge another servant? Why do you judge another servant? The way that Paul comes at this, the way that he starts is like this. Hey, um, the person that you're thinking is wrong on the issue, on this particular issue, eating meat, drinking, uh, drinking wine, or 
uh, observing days that, or anything else that may, you know, express itself. Like the person you're thinking is wrong on an issue, they belong to someone and it's not you. They are servants of someone and it's not you. Furthermore, you're not even a servant of your, like you don't even belong to yourself anymore. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. You're not your own anymore. I've surrendered my rights to the King of Kings. I've, I've given my life to Jesus. Therefore, I am not my own anymore. So why then do I think it's right to judge somebody else's servant? He's not my servant. He's somebody else's servant. Why am I jumping in on this? And the answer is, you shouldn't. Why do you judge another's servant? Even you don't belong to yourself, but to God. So be really careful with somebody else. Second question that gets asked, verse 10. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Can we just, boy, can you highlight that? Like, write that down? Put some exclamation points at the end of that or something? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Are you ready? Here's the question. Are you ready to give an account? Are you ready to give an account to Jesus in light of that small circle and the opinions that you hold and the opinions that the other person holds that you think they're dead wrong about, et cetera, et cetera? Are you ready to give an account to Jesus? Why? Because your actions matter. People who are different than you, who see things different than you, in that small, small circle of opinion and, and, um, um, and conscience stuff, that small circle, not kingdom stuff, not church, in that small circle, they differ from you and your actions matter towards them. And your attitude matters towards them, what you think about them. Or earlier, he says, don't, don't look down or disdain someone in that way. And folks, our words matter towards them. Jesus in Matthew chapter 12, I mean, we could put as our words matter, our memes matter, our tweets matter, our posts matter. Jesus in Matthew chapter 12 is talking about this and the, the nature of our communication with one another. And here's, here's how he um, wraps up that little section. Here's what he says. Matthew 12 verse 36. Don't be fooled. For every careless word you will give an account. For every careless word that comes out of your mouth or off your fingertips, thumbs, for every careless word you'll give an account. Are you ready to give an account to Jesus? First question, why do you judge another servant? You're not your own. They're not their own. You both belong to Jesus. Be careful. Second question, are you ready to give an account? We will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Third question, do you accept your responsibility? Look at verse 14. For I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love. By what, um, by what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So here in chapter 14, if you read it, um, if you haven't yet, that's fine. But there's this interplay Paul sets between the strong and the weak, strong and the weak. And here's, here's the question. Are you ready to accept your responsibility? If you are one who is strong, and it doesn't really matter on any particular issue which place you set yourself. It's, it's just a matter of are you ready to accept your responsibility no matter the issue. 
no matter the, the opinion that you hold. For the one who is strong, basically they would frame it as, I am free to something. I'm free to. I, I, am, I am free to drink wine. I am free to eat meat. I am free to uh, observe or, or not observe days and just take, treat them all as a save. I am free to do those things. And what's Paul's response to that? Look at verse 14. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean. Paul's response is, yep, you're free to do so. That's how the strong, he portrays the strong. Secondly, though the weak, I am not free to. That would kind of be the phrase that goes along with them. I am not I'm free uh, to do this. I don't, I don't sense in my own life that I am free um, to do these things. Um, it, here, here's the part, though, that I, I want you to get. But because the interplay between strong and weak goes something like this. To the strong, Paul says, I am free, you are. You are free to do these things. However, you are also free to limit your use of your freedom. You're not surrendering your freedom. You're just limiting your use in a particular context. You're just limiting your use when you're with a particular people. You're just limiting your use as you are, you are engaging with this particular person or because of their history or because of their stuff or because of what's going on in their lives. You're free to limit your freedom. If you're strong, then you're strong enough to limit your freedom. That's how Paul talks. And the responsibility falls primarily, not solely, but primarily the burden of that falls primarily on, on those strong. Look down in chapter 15, verse 1. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. For what reason? Back in chapter 14, look at verse 19. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Don't for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean. Paul wants you to hear that. Everything's clean. But it's wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. You are free to eat. You're free to drink. You're free to enjoy every day the same. And you're free not to do that for the sake of the brother because you love that person. For the sake of the sister because you love that sister. You're free not to do that as well. Again, it's not a you're not surrendering in some way your freedom. You're just exercising it differently for the sake of another, for the sake of love. To the weak, he says, um, you are free not to do this, that, or the other. That's true. But you are also free not to judge. You, you, are, you are not free to judge others who hold a looser view than your own opinion of stuff. What happens when I have certain things in my life in that small circle, certain opinions that I'm holding, um, certain uh, uh, restrictions that I put on my own life? Um, when I, if it's a law for me, it can be good. When I take my law and impose it on you, that's what we call legalism. Jesus is not a fan of that. He's not. So in this particular small, small circle, again, we're not talking about the big stuff. We're not talking about kingdom stuff. We're not talking about church stuff. We're talking about this really small circle of conscience and opinion. I am free, excuse me, I am not free to judge those who view this thing differently than me. I'm not free to do so. There may be wisdom in doing something or not doing something. If you're a recovering alcoholic in here, you, you probably don't want to find yourself in a bar. If, if I am going to meet you somewhere, I probably don't want to meet you in a bar. I'm free to go, but because I love you, I'm not going to. Like there may, there may be wisdom here, but, but you just got to be careful in, in, in how you impose that. So here's the question then. 
And this is a, this is a parenthesis. These are not questions that the text asks us, but uh, questions that I think we need to ask ourselves because we need to have these conversations. We need to talk with one another. If we're family, if we as a church people are family and we've got people who see things one way and see things differently, we've got people who have some opinions about one thing and opinions about a different thing, it, how do we have conversations about this? How, I mean, can we talk about this? Is that okay? Yes, is the answer. And we should. Here's four questions. I want to encourage you to um, take a screenshot or whatever you need to do here. They'll be in the notes on the website. Here, here they are. Just give me give four things here. Let me... In, in, um, I encourage you to think about these things. As you have conversations about these particular issues, those smallest circle issues, opinion and conscience issues, number one, did they invite the conversation or did you stir the pot? Anybody pot stirs in here? Yes, 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 yes. Oh, oh, yeah, yes. I mean, yes. I love to stir the pot in particular with your kids. You'll have your kids walking down the hallway, and I'll say, oh, it's so good to see you, etc. I just talked to your dad. He's going to take you to ice cream after this. Isn't that exciting? I love that junk. And on and on. We just do it all the time. It's funny. Did they invite the conversation? Are you looking to stir the pot? Because if I'm looking to stir the pot, it ain't love, folks. And it's not going to be a conversation. It's going to be two lectures going right past one another. Invite the conversation. Secondly, can you represent their argument in a way that they actually agree with it? That's really important, folks, because if, if I am holding an opinion um, or, or my conscience is bound by this, and I have reasons for that, and you want to convince me that you're not so sure that that's a good thing, all things are clean. All things are clean. He says it twice here. You want to convince me otherwise. You need to be able to represent my argument in a way that I go, yep, that's what I'm saying. Our political discourse currently in our culture is such that straw man, take it down, straw man, take it down, straw man, take it down. And nobody actually represents the other person's argument. Folks, let the church be the people of the truth who represent what is being said accurately so that uh, the the person on the other side of the table that we're having coffee with or having... um, whatever with, that, that, we, that they say, yes, that is exactly what I believe. If we're going to have a conversation about what they believe, let's actually be able to articulate what they believe. Can you represent their argument in a way that they agree with it? That's question number two. Question number three, if we're going to talk about these things. Third question, are you willing to change your mind or have it changed? Because if I'm not... Then again, we're not having a conversation. All I'm doing is queuing up my ammo to unload on you as soon as you take a breath. That's not a conversation, folks. That's not family. Are you willing to change your mind or to have it changed? I know what I believe. I'm gonna maybe you're not ready for the conversation. Lastly, do you care more about the person than winning? And the immediate response by some is, I care about the person so much that I'm going to win. (laughs) See what we did there? But at that point, it becomes about my rightness and their wrongness. And and folks, that, that is not how the Bible talks about these kinds of interactions. If you want to have these conversations, and we should, we should be the grown ups in the cultural room 
we ought to be able as people of the truth to have these conversations. Care more about the person who's sitting in front of you than winning. We'll pick that up here in just a second. Um, fourth, fourth question that the text asks us, verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Here's the question. Is, is the kingdom consequential to you? Opinions, they can be held without them holding us, right? I mean, we can hold on to some things that are true and good for us even without me then superimposing them on every relationship or projecting them upon you in some way. So is the kingdom consequential to you? The kingdom is not, he says in verse 17, about eating and drinking. I mean, that's all, like, it may be important to you, but this is not what the kingdom is, right? That is one little circle about what you're going to eat and what you're going to drink. We're talking about the kingdom, man. We're talking about the biggest circle. We're talking about the thing that lasts forever. Your opinion is not going to. Nobody amen that one. I mean, we're going to get to heaven, folks. And we're going to see people. And you'll be like, well... Huh. We're going to get to heaven. And there will be things that are true that will go, oh, I messed that one up pretty good. So we're talking about the kingdom. This, this little circle down here, this little circle right here, those things are important, but the, the, the opinions, they can be held without them holding us. The realities of the kingdom, the kingdom of God is not about eating and drinking, but what is it? It is righteousness. Is righteousness important? Yes, it is the message of the New Testament that we have the genuine goodness of God operating inside of us because of what Jesus has done to forgive our sin, to purchase favor with God, and to grant us freedom to live with him forever. We have that operating in us. Righteousness, that's consequential. And peace. The kind of like wholeness that embraces our lives, no matter what their situation is, no matter kind of how fractured the circumstances feel around us, we stay solid in the midst of all the crazy out there. And joy in the Holy Spirit. That kind of stuff, folks, is consequential. It is, it is shaping to us. Is the kingdom consequential to you? Not your opinions. You don't get to inflate those you know what happens? You, you get a bike tire that's flat. You go pumping it up. You get it up to whatever pressure it is. And if you keep going, what happens? It blows. Why? It can't hold it. Listen, your opinion can't hold, can't hold righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Like, you, you, you don't have enough oomph in you for that. Okay, last thing. Can you accept one another as you've been accepted? Look down in chapter 15, verse 7. Therefore... Paul sums up this entire section. Therefore, welcome, accept, receive one another as Christ has welcomed, accepted, received you for the glory of God. Can you accept one another as you have been accepted? Because of the gospel, folks, because of the good news of Jesus, that he has come, he has lived perfectly, he has died sacrificially, he has risen victoriously. Because of that, you and I are received into God's kingdom. Because of that, we are accepted um, into the family of God. Because of the, not because of who we are, not because of the opinions we hold, not because of the things that we think are true, but because Jesus has done this for us. Can you accept one another? as you have been accepted. And because of the gospel, because of that reality, we have far more that unites us than divides us. That little circle is little. 
But there is something far greater, far bigger that brings us together than pulls us apart. So the question, or the call, excuse me, the call from God, according to 15 verse 7, therefore, welcome one another, accept one another, receive one another, as Christ has welcomed, accepted, received you to the glory of God. The call is to treat one another as if Jesus died for that person too. Why? Because he did. Well, I don't like the fact that those people go to that place. Well, did Jesus die? You need to treat them as if Jesus died for them. Why? Because he did. I don't like the sign in that person's yard. Well, you need to treat them as if Jesus died for them. Why? Because he did. Well, I understand that they voted this particular way. Treat them as if Jesus died for them. Why? Because he did. Well, they participate in things that I just don't think are right. Treat them as if Jesus died for them. Because he did. Because he did. Welcome one another. Receive one another. Accept one another. As Jesus has accepted you to the glory of God. Let me pray for us. Um, Father, I uh, set this before you this morning because, man, in our day and in our age, we need to be able to talk about important things. And so I I, I set this before you on behalf of these folks and pray that you would uh, let it settle down into the areas, kind of worm its way into the nooks and crannies wherever it needs to go in order to accomplish what you want. Um, Please, Father, would you grant us to be the kind of people who live like this? Don't just talk about it. Who live like this? And if there's anyone here this morning who doesn't know Jesus, Father, would you draw them to yourself today? Let them put their trust in you. Let them celebrate the fact that you have a door wide open to their lives, no matter their background and no matter their baggage. Jesus, your death was enough. Your resurrection power is enough for them. So draw them to yourself today. And for those of us who are followers, help us to remember about the things that are most important. Not the things that the news says are important. The things that really are. Define that for us now in Jesus' name. We pray, amen.